Welcome to the Rugby League Europe podcast. Lee Addison here with Carlo Napolitano for episode nine of the Rugby League Europe podcast. How's your week been since episode eight, Mr. Napolitano? Well, not much has changed, mate. Still working. <laughs> well, fortunately, we haven't won the lottery, so uh, I'm still okay. still doing the day job and um, helping people with uh, personal and corporate debts. Um, again, I've got a first world problem for you, mate. Oh, um, I, love I think I've I think I've run water for seven rugby league games in the last two days and coached in one, mate. And can I say? You're not so sprightly anymore, are you, mate? <laughs> and let me tell you, I forgot my sunscreen and my hat. And oh, um, in bush pig. I'm the death. face. I'm the face. I'm the. I've got a face, the colour of a uh, Poland shirt or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> mate, you... I was gonna. I was gonna say uh, the uh, Netherlands. You know, bright orange. <laughs> I'm not got orange yet. That'll be tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you can get us on Twitter at the RLE Podcast. Um, there's a few capital letters. Do you think we need? To, I need to keep mentioning this about the capital letters, or do you think people can just find us, Carlo? Because the the T, the R, the L, and the E and the P are all capitals, as you as the actual well, address. If, well, if you do the search mechanism in any of the social medias and search for uh, the Rugby uh, League Europe podcast, then I'm pretty sure they'll find us. Yeah, because once once it's in your phone, you sort of just keep ending up there, don't you? But yeah, the yeah. RLE podcast on Instagram, where you get to look at Carlo and I's face, what more? could anybody want and then the rugby league europe podcast just search that on facebook and you will find us there's really not any other story we can kick off with today carlo because we've got a few things to update people on towards the end of this podcast about yeah. things that are going on in europe but one that has eclipsed it all is that a court case in australia has opened up a can of worms from a european rugby league point of view um, yeah. And that is details of interest from a club in Spain about former English Man of Steel and Australian Dally M winner Ben Barber. Ben was in trouble for uh, an alleged assault of his brother-in-law. He was found guilty, but no conviction was recorded against him. So, is that does that mean you're guilty? I don't I don't quite understand that because he's pleaded guilty to all three charges. Um, assault occasion, bodily harm, breaching bail conditions and failing to complete a community service order. But during that process, Carlo, mm-hmm. um, it has come out that Valencia Huracanes in Spain have yeah. um, provided an opportunity for Ben Barber in 2021. Now, isn't that huge news? First question I'm going to ask you, and bear in mind I'm the head of performance for Spain, so I do know some stuff, and I do know what kind of impact this is. Have you just just asked yourself your own question? No. (laughs) What I'm going to ask you, Carlo, is in the history of rugby league, has there ever been an announcement about a potential signing in a Mm -hmm. court 10,000 miles away? No, I can't remember one, uh, unless it was Ned Keller <laughs> or Dick Turpin. <laughs> um, ben Barber, do you rate him and what kind of uh, impact oh, would he have at a Spanish club, do you think? Mate, Ben Barber is a world-class player. You don't get a Man of Steel uh, award for not being world-class. Uh, and he, he certainly is. Now, he's had a few misdemeanors and he's had a couple of years 
I just sometimes I just think are we you know they've done a bit of crime now sorry they've done a bit of time for for, for what they've done you know do we do, is it time to to give him a chance again uh, wipe the slate clean and bring him back and I think this could be a real good opportunity for him I know he's started playing a bit of AFL uh, Australian rules football and he kicked something like. 10 goals. Um, he's obviously still very, very skillful, very, very fit. He looks, a, he did look a bit out of shape, but yeah, I think it's a good, listen, I think it's a great move to try and get profiled and, and uh, a, a few eyes looking at the European rugby league. And I think, I think also for Ben Barber, well, first of all, you mentioned him scoring goals in AFL. You do know you get a point for missing in that game. So you can actually <laughs> kick wide either way and get a point. Um Geez, I'd, I'd have been one of the best goal scorers in the world if that could, if those uh-huh. rules were applied um, to soccer or maybe try scorer if you fell 10 metres short of the try line. I'd, I'd get 20 tries a year. But um, I think him getting out of his uh, environment and going away to somewhere like Valencia Huracanes, we spoke to Valencia Huracanes who sent us a statement saying that they can confirm that we, as in Valencia Huracanes, have been in discussions with Ben and his agent. Both parties' yeah. interest and intent is real, and we will be making further announcement announcements in due course. What I can tell you, um, being the head of performance for Spain, I obviously got in touch with uh, people over there and said, whoa, you never told me. Um, they have kept mm. it hush-hush. They've been very good about it, because one thing about rugby league, rugby league is a sieve when it comes to information, but obviously in Europe right now, um, that was easy for them to keep hold of. I think I can safely say that Ben Barber isn't the only one that Valencia Huracanes are going for. And I think that the impact this could have on, number one, the Euro 13s competition next year, if it all comes off. But just the well, game the game in Spain in general could be quite huge. But wouldn't, wouldn't like, again, draft system, uh, is he, he wouldn't be put up for draft. He would be actually a club player for Huracanus. Yeah, well, I think, I think when a club signs a player, then a club signs a player. I think the draft system is for other people to go into a pot who aren't aligned with one of those clubs that are in the Euro 13s. Right, okay. So yeah, me well, or you I, could play, Carlo. Uh, well, I don't know if I could put the boots back on, mate. I played <laughs> soccer yesterday and my body's, I know my body's going to be sore. I've got two games on the weekend. Well, when, you, when you've run water yeah, in that. eight games of rugby league in 48 hours, come back and talk to me, son. Listen, yeah, mate, that's, that's hard um, work, man. Our producer got up, got up me and you a little bit, didn't he, about our last couple of series podcasts. So after uh, an inter- a little interview that we're going to, play to you with uh, somebody from Germany um, me and Carlo are going to be sharing some funny stories. Carlo, you interviewed somebody from Germany well, they're actually from Salford we might as well call a this Salford the League Salford podcast Let's... Yeah, a Salford lad who uh, has been integral in, in getting the game going over in Germany uh, by the lad of, uh, by the name sorry, of uh, Bob Doughton now I met Bob, oh some some years ago, uh, when he came, when he brought Germany over to play Italy uh, in Padova in Italy, uh, an amazing lad, and and um, you know, uh, God rest his soul, Simon Cooper, mm. who 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 has done so much for for the German rugby league. Um, had a really good chat with him about everything domestically and internationally, and you know, it was it was really good, really interesting to chat, and I I think. You know, these stalwarts, uh, you can tell there's a few barriers there that, again, I'll, I'll let everyone listen and, and, and actually judge themselves. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a very, it's a very tough one. 
Well, from one Salford lad to another to another, everyone, listen to this latest interview on the Rugby League Salford. Uh, I mean, the Rugby League Europe podcast, Carlo and Bob. And it's uh, a great pleasure to have Bob Gauten on the line from the Germany Rugby League, the president of the Germany Rugby League. How are you doing, Bob? I'm I'm fine under the, uh, the current conditions with the coronavirus, but fine. That's Thank right. You. And and if all the listeners are worrying, if uh, myself and Bob sound the same, we are actually both from Salford. Isn't that right, Bob? Yep, sunny Salford. Sunny Salford. And we've both got sunburnt heads to prove it. <laughs> well, the the first time I ever met you, Bob, uh, was obviously in, in Padova, in Italy, when, when I was involved in the Italian Rugby League and we played Germany and uh, I got the pleasure to, to meet yourself and Simon Cooper. And uh, yeah, mate, it's been, it's been a long time in between drinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we'd have died of thirst in that time. It must be uh, <laughs> what, about 2006 or something, 2007, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right, mate. Some time ago. And uh, our deepest condolences as well, mate, on the passing of uh, Simon Cooper, who was a, a great stalwart for, for Germany Rugby League, mate. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been a, a massive blow. We, we knew Simon uh, was uh, suffering with with cancer, but even so, when it came, uh, it was a massive blow. But uh, we've got a we've actually got a, a cup competition uh, named after him, uh, Cooper Cup, um, and uh, we hope that his name lives on then through that. Definitely, definitely, Bob. Just before we get into all the domestic stuff and the international stuff, just give us a bit of a, a running background of how you were involved, uh, or how you got involved. Number one, with uh, moving over to Germany, and number two, how you've uh, developed the game of rugby league in Germany. Um, well, uh, initially, um, I grew up, as you just said, in Salford, and I uh, had the uh, privilege of playing at. Um, what was then uh, Salford Colts in the A-team. Um, I didn't reach the uh, the dizzy heights that you got to, Carlo. Um, <laughs> Only for and, a bit. Uh, <laughs> even so, you did it. Um, I, um, I also played for Great Britain students. And uh, while I was at college, um, I met my wife, who's a German. So 30 years ago, over 30 years now, um, we moved to Germany. And uh, I was involved with Rugby Union here. And then um, I was going through uh, the internet and came across something Simon had posted and got in touch with him. And um, since then, um, I've been involved um, in the international scene, in the domestic scene. And uh, we we actually, uh, Simon and I, for various reasons, um, left uh, we couldn't participate. Uh, in my case, it was uh, an operation on the back. Um, and unfortunately, rugby league in Germany died on the vine. Um, so we, we resurrected it again uh, six years ago. Oh, wow. Wow. So, again, mate, a bit of a checkered past in, in, the, in the life and times of the German German Rugby League. But, like I say, it's, everything's uh, moving forward. Now, the domestic programme, Bob, uh, what, what, what's, just explain or paint a picture to, to the listeners what the Germany Rugby League looks like domestically. Well, we've, we've got four um, teams that play in it. Um, which is actually, uh, if you like, the minimum requirement for um, affiliate membership 
of the RLEF and the International Federation. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've also instigated um, a cup competition, which at the moment uh, is operating as a Nines Cup. And that's the uh, the one I just mentioned, the Cooper Cup. Um, and um, the, the hope is that as we expand in the future, um, that cup will become a 13s uh, cup competition spread over um, several several weeks. Yeah. Um, we're looking at, well, obviously at the moment, nothing's happening because of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we've got some interesting signals from the Munich area uh, where we have um, actually one of the board members um, and the federation captain, uh, Mauli Mauli Mafia, uh, mm -hmm. originally from Togo. Um, and we have a couple of other national players who are based in the, in the south. So we're, we're, we're looking now and investigating if we can split our domestic league um, regionally and then have a, have a, a playoff uh, somewhere in the middle, is there which would be a massive step forward for us. Is there, is there any ideas of, of progressing or getting juniors involved? Yeah, we uh, that's that's part of the plan. Um, in in our town, uh, my son who, who um, plays in the national team uh, coaches uh, a mixed group. Uh, it's only a small town here, uh, but we have a mixed group, and most of the German-based uh, players also play rugby union, and um, some of them have started introducing rugby league uh, for during the summer. So we're, we're looking at uh, getting Brilliant. some sort of competition. Yeah. Um, we've also spoken with um, our friends in Holland. We, we have a really good close relationship with them. Um, and um, we, we agree that at some stage um, we, we can have them training together or uh, even <laughs> if we get enough uh, activity, um, having a, a youth international match. I think I think it's a really good argument or a really good discussion point, Bob. Is to understand that you know, in a lot of the nations that where rugby league is predominantly new or, or, or very fresh, is that the the idea of coexisting with rugby union again? You know, from a rugby league standstill, we we couldn't care less about it really. But I think um, the, the fact the fact is that we if if we can coexist we can actually share seasons and then basically have people playing rugby league in the summer and or in the off season and rugby union in their season um I, I, that would probably double the numbers quite quickly wouldn't it well that that's what we do actually we we try to avoid um when the rugby union is playing um so the the current situation with um COVID-19 virus has um, thrown everything out, out of sync at the moment, but we, we generally try to avoid um, the uh, the union season. We, we play in summer. Um, but one, one thing um, I'd like to try to do is to um, entice handball players. Oh, uh, yeah. There are uh, around 800,000 registered handball players in Germany um, and they play during the winter so um, if what you do think they do in the summer it, yeah what do they do in the summer yeah and and um, they've got transferable skills so um, I think I think that's an avenue um, that we will we, we'll pursue. 
Bob, do you, do you think potentially if a, a Super League game was played in Germany, would it would it get the respect and would it get the crowds that, that it deserves? And if you were to put a game on, where would you put it? I think I think at this stage, um, the, uh, the the first question you put, I would think we wouldn't get the crowds it deserves right at this minute, yeah. um, unless um, somebody like. Uh, Sonny Bill uh, was playing. Um, who, so had the, who, had, who had the notoriety in rugby union, and yeah, therefore would, yeah. would would carry carry some some sort of promotion with it. Yeah, exactly. It's very exactly. interesting. But um, I I've always I I live um, about sixty miles from Cologne, and um, I used to uh, coach in in the union club there. And it's a it's a big city. It's a million people. They have their own airport, and um, 30 miles away, there's Dusseldorf Airport. It's not yeah. far from the um, the ports. It's like three hour, three and a half hour drive from from Calais or from um, Rotterdam. Um, and it's a great city. It's on the Rhine. They've got beautiful uh, old town. Um, so there's something there um, for the fans outside the uh, the rugby. Um, so you know, I'd, I'd look at somewhere like that. Uh, or even Dusseldorf, uh, that, that's also uh, on the Rhine and has uh, a beautiful old town. Germany is a great place to visit. It's it's, yeah. it's really a lovely country. You can't beat a Stein, Bob. You can't beat a Stein. Well, you know the thing is uh, that's down in Bavaria. We we don't have uh, uh, such big uh, guzzle buckets uh, up here. <laughs> yeah, mate. Uh, I I can't. I, every time I go past the Bavarian here in. Um, in Australia or wherever it is in England, I can't, I can't, I can never stop myself from just going. All right, I'm having a Stein. You know, it's just one of them novelty yeah. things that you just enjoy doing. Uh, mate, I just want to push on to the, the international program. Obviously, I know personally of playing against Germany and, and what it, what a great honour it is to represent your country. Um, but also the international program. How, how's how's that currently looking in regards to? The um, the setup, the the development, and 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 having that carrot to dangle for, for domestic players. Um, it's it's really important uh, for for the development, <clears throat> and it's it's a carrot to get players into the game. Um, this year uh, we had five internationals planned, which is a, a massive amount, um, and we've got one left on the uh, calendar, and that's against Holland. We play Holland every year. Um, as I mentioned earlier, they're, they're good friends of ours, and uh, we play for um, a cup called the Griffin Cup. Um, and the Griffin is half lion, which is the uh, the Dutch emblem, and um, it's half eagle, which is the German uh, emblem. So oh, um, smart, yeah. we, we hope that is going to uh, take place uh, also so we can, uh, if you like, uh, pay respects to Simon. Um, yeah. But the way things are changing on the uh, on the COVID nineteen front, it, next week could be totally different. <laughs> so yeah, we have, we yeah. just have to wait and see uh, what happens on that. But uh, as regards the players, I mean, we we were really really disappointed um, that we didn't progress in the uh, qualifiers for the uh, World Cup next year. Uh, so we started last year um, playing some prestigious teams in the development field. So we played we played against Italy, the Italy amateurs. Yeah. Uh, 
beat them for the first time in five matches. We uh, played against the Northwest Lionhearts um, and um, nearly nearly got a draw out of it. We were coming coming on strong at, at the end of the match. Um, and uh, this year we wanted to play the Lionhearts again uh, here in Germany. And uh, the French amateurs um, are um, looking for um, an exchange, uh, play here one year and then play there the next. Yeah. Um, so... Those games for me are really important so that our domestic guys can uh, can learn to play um, at a higher level. And we, we had the uh, the other two matches were against Norway and Ukraine, which were part of the Euro um, Championships, and they've been uh, postponed till next year. Yeah, yeah. And what what's your what's your thoughts on on the Euro 13s, Bob? Um, I think I think we need. Um, we need a competition like that for definite. Um, I think the RLEF should be organising something. I know they, they say they've got something organised, but um, I've, I've not uh, had any real uh, information on that. Um, but I think I think we need we need a competition because we need we need a, a pathway to encourage new athletes to come into the sport. And it doesn't need to be rugby union players. We just mm-hmm. need athletes coming into the sport. Rugby league's an easy game. We both played it, Carlos. So it yeah. <laughs> it's got to be. Um, yeah. It has to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you can teach people how to play rugby league if they're an athlete, and um, I think I think we need to offer perspectives um, for people coming into the sport and something like a professional league. Um, if we had a professional club in Germany, we could then uh, use that as a focal point for, for developing uh, domestic players. Yeah, you know, you go into the local schools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a uh, massive spin-off from it. It's something that I hate talking about, but it's something that's so prevalent is uh, is required funding, mate. And we, you know, talking, <laughs> we've talked uh, before uh, about the the GASF. Or, or the sport accord, how important it is uh, to get Olympic uh, recognition so we can get uh, some funding. Uh, and again, you know, that puts people on the ground. The the What are the major barriers uh, that you can foresee for, for, for Germany Rugby League to, to progress? Um, well, funding, obviously. Um, and funding, you, you mentioned funding, but there's so many elements in it. Um, exposure of the sport. Um is is a key driving uh, element for funding. Um, why would somebody sponsor us um, if uh, his logos aren't seen? Basically, um, yeah, true, and I, very I, true. I, I really think um, that uh, the NRL and the Super League um, need to address their broadcasting um, philosophy because they're not going to make a lot of money out of people in Germany uh, subscribing. To uh, to watching the sport, and they need to see those leagues uh, really as development tools. If our sport could get on television, then um, it would help uh, dramatically in uh, bringing sponsors in. Huge, mate. I, I, I remember that the same argument uh, having that in Italy about try to get the rates, uh, sorry, the rights of uh, the Super League, so we could actually put it on the TV and and people could just see it, even if it was as fillers. You know, you you just people would be able to watch it and see it and and, and have a look at our product. So I, I yep. do understand that, and and again, it's yep. another it's another one why why we've not 
basically giving that out is, is beyond me. Uh, and again, you know, questions that have to be asked in that. But Bob, that's about all we've got time for. Um, mate, personally, I, I, I think Germany is a, a perfect grounding for, for rugby, the future rugby league. And I think there is so much good that can come out of it. And uh, again, for, from my perspective, mate, I want to say thank you for, for all the hard work that you've done, mate. Uh, I think it's uh, sometimes it's a thankless job being a president of a uh, of an organisation, <laughs> mate. And, uh, yeah, you know, you should never be forgotten. So you've done a cracking job, Bob. And, and I'm super proud that you're a Salford lad as well, in it. Yeah, we're taking over the world, Carlo. <laughs> We are, mate. Well, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate it. Thanks to you, Carlo. Good stuff again, Carlo. You're churning out some good interviews. And first of all, my my big takeaway from all this is that there's a long history of rugby league in Germany already. We're talking nearly three decades because Mm. I played there. I've played there with Great Britain students and I've coached England students there um, in army barracks there. Um, And, you know, it's not that long ago in the sort of evolution of life that, you know, countries like Germany were, you know, no-go areas. And I just find it so refreshing, mate, and so good that somebody is so passionate about growing the game in Germany too. And, you know, sad loss. He's lost his sidekick there. Um, Simon, yeah. In, in Simon to cancer, and that's awful, and it hit the rugby league community hard. But you know he's willing to to continue the fight, and it's just so good, and um, it's just another fledgling rugby league community, isn't it? I think uh, the more that I talk to different and smaller nations, you know, the the actual barriers are always the same: funding, mm. lack of funding, lack mm-hmm. of uh, sponsorship, um, and again, we we we. Um, as a Super League, as a as an NRL, we have to we have to do more. I think the Super League needs to start taking games into these European uh, countries. Number one, it'll bring tourism, yeah, because it just say for instance, a Salford plays a London or Salford plays Leeds, they're going to bring their own set of fans, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get thousands. Of, maybe maybe you wouldn't get as much as you would back in England, but you're going to get people who travel if it's done correctly. Um, you know, at a special time in, in, in Germany during the summer, he said, not much is going on. It's perfect. Right. So if you could get that kind of exposure and commit to it on a yearly basis, I think it could be something really, really good. And I think what he's, he's targeting in the handball, I think is a real, real good opportunity. Yeah, that was interesting. That was interesting. Yeah, and I think you, you need to, you got to remember rugby league is a new sport to some of these countries. Uh, so the fact of we will conquer and divide, you can't think like that. It's all about coexistence uh, and at least coexistence for the first 10 years. You know, that's that's the way you've got to think. Um, and uh, once you get the participation numbers, then you go, right, okay, we, we, we have to start challenging for a bit more time because our seasons need to be bigger. But definitely don't you know you need some some sort of carrot to dangle in front and i thought bob you know bob summed it up very very well got some bits of news from the european rugby league community just to shoot through before we have a bit of a chat about some of our uh, funny stories from the past of coaching or playing um rugby league island have had to postpone their all island grand final due to covid at the minute they're saying that could oh. be in september 
this COVID thing is a pain. No, tell me about it. Belgian Rugby League, though, have named training squads for their top squad and their under-23s, which is a positive thing. Yeah. Um, and they're also talking about a game with Spain in Barcelona. And let's link it in. <laughs> the, the last game in the new Camp was Wigan and Catalan, and, and that's the kind of thing you were talking about there. Mm-hmm. The the um, You may remember... I think everyone remembers a couple of weeks ago who listened to this podcast, we spoke about a resolution being sent from a country to the Rugby League European Federation members. My latest intel on that, mate, is that about five nations have backed it. Wow. So that was a resolution. There was quite a detailed resolution, so you need to go back two episodes to get the full gist of it. But yeah. it didn't sound great if it was if it's proven to be true, but it does remain unanswered and the uh, uh, all these things are building up because there's an RLEF Congress on the 12th of December and the new directors will be voted in or the same directors re-voted in. So mm. um, all that's building up. But look, mate, that's enough of the serious stuff. Producers kicked our <laughs> backsides. When I was Poland coach, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> I told the boys on the first night in camp, I said, listen, um, you're training at nine in the morning, but I'm going to let you be adults. Go out and do what you need to do. The only rules are you've got to stay together. At the same time, I also set up a Facebook group chat in my naivety. And I was in studying video of the game that we played that night, burning the midnight oil. So all the boys came home at 11, 30, 12. I thought, oh, good boys. These are very focused. They were only wrestling in their undies. In an empty room. <laughs> boys right. will be boys, mate. Boys will be boys. But it wasn't just wrestling, you know, it wasn't the Royal Rumble. It was structured. So there was a referee. There was a draw. And there was a knockout to get to the final. So people Ooh. like Harry Saker, for example, ex-NRL player and Super League player, in his undercrackers. And not only that, they had a broadcast partner too called Facebook and they had to send it and now while I was in there studying tape with my coaches they kept sending us the the fight updates and everything it was literally one of the funniest nights of my coaching life it was hilarious um beat that Carlo well uh, when we were talking about funny stories um there was there was a in 2000 we had the emerging nations world cup and luckily it was over in the uk so i didn't have far to travel from sunny salford um, mm. and we was we was actually stationed in uh, rochdale in hotwood hall oh. so before before it was so before everything got knocked down at hotwood hall it was a you know like a kind of residence or halls of residence. Mm-hmm. And we were going to be the last people staying there before they knocked it down and then put start putting the, the sports precinct that's now there. So anyway, we, we stayed there. I went and I was there about an hour earlier. Um, and I'm just waiting for the guys there coming in. And I already knew that I was rooming, where I was rooming, what room I was in, and who I was rooming with. I was rooming with a bloke called Mark Cesarago. Um, and he was—he's a back rower who played for Tweed and and uh, in and around the Gold Coast. Big lad, but a, but a champion of a bloke. Anyway, I was just thinking to myself, don't know this bloke, but I've got to do something to cut the ice. And you know, like um, I've got to do some something out there and 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 crazy. And at this at this point, I was I was well into my guitar, you know, learning how to play it, playing a few tunes, 
Eagles loved him. So anyway, the, the coach rolls, the coach rolls in, and I'm looking out the window and I'm thinking, right, okay, um, what am I going to do here? So I just thought, right, well, I'll just get naked and start playing the guitar. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, everyone had like their names on the doors, and I could hear them coming in, and it said Napolitano and Cesarago. So I closed the door, uh, and I was ready, totally nude, just the guitar. And as were, you soon covering as we walked, it? were you covering your meat and two veg? Or? Well, the guitar was doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, mod- my modest there. Um, yeah. But as soon as, soon as it... The must, thing have been, was, must have been a little ukulele. It, all I could hear was, hi. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> Cesarago, here I am. So he opened the door and come in, and as soon as he walked in, I started playing uh, Desperado, but I changed the words to, Cesarago, <laughs> why don't you come to my bedroom? And he literally came in, dropped his bag, and, uh, and I apologised. He said, what the fuck? And just turned around <laughs> and walked straight back out. It was, it was the best thing ever. And then everyone started piling in, and um, it, it was just hilarious. All the lads were just laughing, laughing their heads off. But I just thought that was a good, a good opening to to, to try. So, and, so um, if we're not gonna, if we're not gonna get sacked by our producer for being too serious, we're now gonna get sacked for being too raunchy. You know, we're talking about nudity well, on the podcast. We <laughs> well, we are Italian, man. Yeah. Uh, the best part about at least it, the Polish wear the undies. But the best part, but the best part about it now is that I'm, I, I still like Mark's an accountant on the Gold Coast, and he's got a company called Eight Collective, and um, I still speak to him very, very regular, uh, and you know we exchange cases every now and then, and every time, every time he phones me, I go. Cesarago, <laughs> and he goes, "Hey, going, mate." <laughs> uh, how you going, mate? So uh, that's that's my that's my little fun story. Do you have a proud one? That's something that really sticks out as the moment that uh, oh, you as an Italian player or Italian coach. Yeah, well, there's a couple actually. Playing playing wise, I think it was in '99 when we played France in Carcassonne, and uh, France were, you know, you got to remember, France were probably. The third or fourth seed in the world, and little little old Italy, we weren't even world ranked, but we got invited to play in the Mediterranean Cup in mm. uh, in France, and uh, it was Lebanon, France, Morocco, uh, and it was just like a four four team four nation thing. Anyway, France were out and out the best team in, in it, and they beat Lebanon the first game, and they beat Morocco, and then we we got beat off Lebanon. Which ended up being the World Cup qualifier back in the day, and that's what. Uh, so it knocked us out and put Lebanon in the decider for the World Cup. Anyway, we we ended up playing France in the last game. We beat France, so that that was a very special special time okay. for, for me to you know really uh, get on get on the uh, platform. But there's been a number, you know, playing the first game of the World Cup, beating England uh, at Salford, you know, those kind of special. Special things may stay with you for for a long time, and, and also a bit that the, the legacy thing about being you know the first coach to to take Italy to a World Cup. I think that's that's very special. I remember being proud of you, mate. Um, yeah, I was at that same mate. World Cup with uh, with, the, the with the US, mate, and they had a great World Cup too. Yeah, we did. Great the, um, from a Polish perspective, I think the proud moments. The, a bit like you, you can list a few. The beating the Philippines in the Emerging Nations Trophy final was huge. I literally cried at the end of that on the field because and it'll make sense in a little bit why then the next one was when we actually played in Poland and won the test with an awful lot of Polish domestic players on the first proper test on Polish soil so like they were the last two games as Poland coach they were two two big moments 
but the actual one that I tell as many people as I can about in that camp the night after the naked wrestling, um, <laughs> I made the players um, sit in a circle. I gave them a couple of hours to prepare mm-hmm. and they were to tell each other what it meant to them to play for Poland. Yeah. Now I have no doubt in sport and rugby league, you know, this scene has been played out several times, but each one is unique to its situation. And the Polish one, because of the history, because of the war history, because of the turbulent times that so many people have been through in Poland, but not only that, because of the turbulent scenarios that brought some of these players to Australia or to England. So Mm. you're talking about people whose grandparents were being marched away by Nazis and Mm, um, the people in front of them were shot randomly. So if the gun was was five inches to the left, then their grandparent would have got shot. Mm. Um, You're talking about grandparents who were born in prisoner of war camps in somewhere that at one point was Germany and then at another point became Poland and they had to fight to get into that Polish side because the international powers that be wanted assurances that they were Polish. Um, We're talking about stories of the likes where uh, grandparents were fleeing because the Nazis were coming through Poland and they couldn't read English and there was a sign for Australia and a sign for America and these grandparents thought they were going to America because they couldn't read English properly. They actually ended up in Australia and they ended up becoming grandparents of rugby league players <laughs> and they qualified for Poland. Yeah. The one that really got me, the story that really got me was that somebody was queuing up to get on those boats and they wanted to go to Canada and they didn't meet the height restriction or the height guidelines. They were too short. So they said, get on the next boat. And they literally just randomly selected Australia because it was the shortest line. And some of these stories were just so powerful. And to see grown men crying their eyes out and to have 25 grown men sit in silence for nearly three hours. I'm a teacher, right? So I have lots of experience of sitting in rooms of 25 to 30 people. Mm-hmm. And trying to keep them quiet for an hour, right? Yeah. They, you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah, we, we. And the emotion in that circle was something else. I'll, I don't think I'll ever be able to recreate that again. And the other thing was, it was a total accident, really. It wasn't a planned. It was just pure, raw emotion that only international rugby league can can bring, really. Well, funny you might say that. We 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 did exactly the same in um, in the leading into the World Cup. And it was all about getting up and just doing a presentation of where you're from and and what it means to represent the Azori and uh, mm. Italy and and I went first and like you say I, I went first and and to speak about what my father Orlando did you know came over to England with nothing had two ice cream vans one ice cream van two ice cream vans a cafe nightclub two nightclubs you know and went back yeah. to doing more yeah. it was yeah. just unbelievable and just to, you know to think about the the honour about representing Italy through through that yeah you're right you know I, I was fighting back the tears and then and then um you know the next one got up and it just went 
next mm. one crying, next one crying. But I think sometimes when we're not we're not playing for money, people think professionalism, you've got to get paid. And I've said this before, it's mm. not about that. It's about doing the best you can uh, in the position that you're in. And mm. I think professionalism means that you do it to, to, to such a high level that it's, 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 it's beyond high performance. So I think people get mistaken that, you know, you're a professional because you get paid. No, 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 you get paid because there's a contract. Professionalism starts the, the night before and uh, the week before and, and, you know, all the little things that other people aren't doing. Uh, I think that's really important. That we, we had a side that was uh, New South Wales Cup, Queensland Cup, in, people from England, people from France, people from domestic Italy. And it wasn't about postcodes. It was about, you know, coming together as a unit. And that's where that's where we, we basically put together, I, I said, we are one family, una familia, which is now, you know, kind of, the uh, the banner of what we what we're under, you know. I got this actually. I'm talking about banners. I've got a massive banner. We got uh, all our family uh, that was from Italy. I wanted a picture with each player with their family from Italy. Mm-hmm. So uh, we had this at every uh, every game during the during the World Cup, and and I've yeah. got it here somewhere uh, in my room. <laughs> That's actually it's fully signed, but it's it's a it's a great memento, and I can't wait to actually put that up and get it framed in uh, in the house at some point. So, listeners, you've been listening to tales of grown men naked, <laughs> wrestling and playing guitar, and grown men crying in circles. <laughs> You'd be forgiven to thinking you were, for thinking that you were listening to some kind of uh, cult podcast. <laughs> you're not. You're listening to the Rugby League Europe podcast, episode nine. And myself and Carlo have just given some... Uh, background to what were some of our most memorable moments and I think I would just like to summarize that and cap that off by saying that again the, the, it, these are the things that bring players together I honestly think that in the tough matches that my Polish team played when they're defending their own line against the Philippines which seemed like all game <laughs> it was that brotherhood that was created by that kind of scenario by the 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 slightly drunk shenanigans in the camp and then the meeting the day after in the circle it was that that created it yeah, and well. brought them together and it also allowed them to dig in for each other when their body was telling them they couldn't do anymore and i think anybody who's not been involved in that kind of circuit or in that kind of sports team is really missing out on something yeah and um that just that embodies rugby league, all that kind of stuff to me. Yeah, well, it's it's definitely something you can't train. Sometimes culture, culture is that word that everyone likes to to, to throw around like it's a champagne bottle. But to actually achieve culture is very difficult in the high performance uh, mm-hmm. realm because mm-hmm. culture is about the things that you don't see, the training mm-hmm. that you do on your own when you're your own nutri- nutritionists, when you're own, with your own PT instructor, you know, the fact that you have to be the uh, the director of your own vessel on a regular basis, you know, culture is everything, whether it's individual or togetherness. It's, it's something that you don't see, but something that's so important. And uh, the Broncos are feeling that now in the NRL. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, when you think they can't get any worse, wow, they just get mm-hmm. it goes from bad to even worse, even worse and even worse again. So, you know, a real culture issue, you know, can really upset a club and, and the Broncos are feeling that right now. <clears throat> our, <clears throat> pardon me, our electronic mailbag mail is currently filling up a lot, particularly after the last episode. I'm just glad we got listeners. 
We're going, <clears> I know, we're going all right. We're going all right, mate. We're getting bigger. Um, and if you want to talk to us, at the RLE podcast on Twitter, if in doubt, throw in a capital T, a capital R, L, E, and P, even though me and Carlo think you might get away without doing that. The RLE podcast is on Instagram and Facebook. Search the Rugby League Europe podcast. Hope, hoping to have more news on Ben Barber next week. I, I might even try and get, get him on the show if we can. Sign us out, Carlo. Ciao, ragazzi. I'm going to try and say it. Ciao, dabby, dabby, what? Take care. See you next week. All the best of you.